Let's start it up. That's the Rolling Stones, and it's bowl season, bowl betting season, where you need some stones to get through it and make picks with some conviction. Well, we are here with conviction. I'm Chappie. That's Sully. That's Wax. And this is College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. And just want to remind you to check out our website, www.cfpcollegefootball.com, and follow us on Twitter at CFPCFB, as in college football, and you'll find Twitter handles for myself, for Wax, and for Shelly there. Gentlemen, it's good to be starting bowl season. And Wax, we're not going to waste any time or mince words. I want to hear what you think about the NIL situation. I, I, I sense a little salty Wax coming. Uh, yes, definitely. I, uh, I will say I am in agreement with you. I'm thrilled that the bowls uh, kick off a little bit of a mini preview on Friday, but then they really get going on Saturday. But uh, as far as the NIL, I didn't really have a topic going into today. I was vacillating between this and this and this. And then came the news that Travis Hunter, the nation's number one recruit, who had been committed for a long time to Florida State, decided at the last minute to flip to Jackson State to go play for Coach Prime. Well, that was great and historic. Jackson State is a storied institution. They've turned out Walter Payton. They've turned out other great players who are in the Hall of Fame. So it's certainly no slight to go to Jackson State, especially with someone as visible as Deion Sanders on the sideline. The interesting part, though, and the part that I'm a little bit agitated about – is with the name, image, and likeness. Now, I've, I don't mind this rule. I think that these kids for long enough have not been able to capitalize on being in advertisements, on posters, on whatever. So it's nice that the athletes are getting a piece of the pie. That said, the intention of the NIL was not to bring in guys as a recruiting incentive. And bottom line, that's what this is. Barstool, Deion Sanders and Penn National Gaming work together to offer Travis Hunter, I've seen alternately 1.5 million and 2 million to come to Jackson State. Dion has a relationship with Barstool. I don't know what it is. He's done a lot of, st- uh, a lot of spots with them. Um, he's definitely a willing interview participant. Um, FYI, Dave Portnoy and Barstool are among the worst people in the world and yep. among the worst platform that you can have. So why Dion's aligned with them, I don't know, but that's his business. That said, Mississippi passed a law in April when they signed the NIL into effect that said a few of the provisions, student athletes are prohibited from participating in certain industries such as alcohol, drug, adult entertainment, gambling, or others. So the Penn National Gaming part of this is what makes this interesting to me. And it's not surprising that Barstool gets involved in this because they do talk a lot about gambling. I'm wondering how this is going to pass muster. My guess is Jackson State's compliance department is is a 60-year-old janitor in a supply closet saying, oh, yeah, this kid can get in. We're fine with this. So I like the NIL. I like Travis Hunter. Bravo for him for capitalizing, for making a statement, for putting the FCS on the map on recruiting day. Otherwise, though, this is not what this is for. I'm hoping that there are some more regulations. I never call for the NCAA to step in or the government to step in. But if this stuff doesn't get regulated, this is just going to be the first in many incidents that are going to basically be come to our school to play. Yep, and I know that um, uh, Lane Kiffin said his piece about it, and so did Davos Swinney. And I know that there's a lot of others who are going to be weighing in. I agree pretty much with everything that you said, Wax. Uh, there's reason to be salty. I, 
I feared this when NIL first started to rear its head. And I, I think the intent was good, but it is free agency right now. And it's, it's being done the wrong way. And I think it's doing these kids a, a bigger disservice than it is a service. But um, Sully, you have the privilege of following Salty Wax. Do you want to build onto that? Or do you, got something, you want to take us in a different direction? No, you know what? I, I got plenty of salt that I can uh, throw in the wounds here, but you know what? Wax already took the uh, that position. So, you know, I'm going to try to be a little positive here because this is the time oh of year where we need to spread cheer, right? And we need to be positive. It's the bowl season. So uh, there's a lot of optimism everywhere around college football. And listen, I, I totally understand your point, Wax, about the NIL. And, and Chappie, I know you're going to talk here with the transfer portal, but we got to remember that the, the people that this is affecting most are 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds, right? For the most part. And these rules are put in place by grown adults with a lot of money who are lining their pockets with what these players are doing too. So I know it's easy to point fingers and I'm not saying you guys are, but a lot of people are and saying, you know, especially someone like yours and these other guys who are making millions of dollars and then just bouncing to another school. But again, these rules were all put in by a bunch of, you know, very well, very wealthy, uh, older uh, well, I guess adults, and, and they're the one making these decisions that are affecting the kids. So uh, I wanted to throw that out there. But on a, on a bright side, I wanted to say that looking at this season in a whole, I think what I'll always remember is just the unpredictability of the 2021 season. And, you know, we started off the season, we basically said Spencer Rattler is going to be the Heisman. They're probably going to be the front runner on Oklahoma to win the national championship against maybe Clemson or Ohio State or Alabama. Uh, and now you look and Oklahoma and Ohio State and Clemson are nowhere to be found in, in the uh, college football playoffs. And I think that having a team like Cincinnati break the barrier and a team like Michigan, you know, get over the Ohio State hump and get in the playoffs as much as they can't stand Harbaugh. I love this. And getting mm -hmm. Georgia back in there. I mean, you guys know that I, that I you know, obviously I wear a Bama hat. But aside from that, I mean, it's just such a, a breath of fresh air to have some new blood in there. And I think more than anything, what this does, is it gives a lot of new hope to these teams right now that are going out and trying to recruit. Uh, it puts a lot more emphasis, I think, on these bowl games for some teams like Texas A&M, for teams like uh, Iowa State that are trying to build off something and using these extra two weeks of practice and using their bowl game to showcase what they can have next season because it's important. And it's more important than ever. You look at Texas A&M, they just had a historic draft class. Now, you know, Chappie, I'll, I'll pass this on to you. I know you can talk about how you know, let's say uh, they'd be lucky if 50% of those players ever, you know, get past their freshman year with the transfer portal. But it's just so awesome to be able to watch a game and have so much more on the line. I think that now more than ever, this is why you do not expand the college football playoffs past four, uh, because you look at it and, you know, what Notre Dame is right on the outside of this. And they could very well play with any of the four teams that are in there. So, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's nice to have it, you know, cut off at four. Um, and I'm hoping that this becomes the norm and not uh, not in a regular situation where uh, it's not as predictable. But I loved it. I loved every second, every week of this college football season. I agree with you full heartedly there that this was to me, this was more memorable than the 2007 season. And that one, there were there was complete chaos, almost to the point where it was bizarre in that, you know, you had schools like South Florida, Rutgers, uh, Louisville, who were all like in the top five. I think all three were ranked in the top two at some point in that season, but you look at that even then and you're like, that just doesn't really make a lot of sense. This year there was chaos, but you could understand some of it. And, and I kind of transfer this into a little bit of news and notes, but a little bit of talk about some of the changes that are going on. So in news and notes, we look at coaching changes. 
how many people realistically thought that college football playoff front runners, um, Clemson, Oklahoma, uh, Notre Dame, you could throw in there, Oregon would either be without their head coach or without both coordinators at the end of this season. That's what we see. Mario Cristobal gone from the O down to the U. Uh, it makes sense. Lincoln Riley gone from Norman, Oklahoma over to USC. Uh, Brent Venables and Tony Elliott gone as offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, I, I kind of expected maybe Tony Elliott was going to get a job at the end of the season, but it shocked me that Brent Venables is gone. He's now the head man at OU. Um, you know, other, other coaching moves. So Elliott goes to Virginia. Manny Diaz fired from Miami and replaced by Cristobal. He's now the D coordinator at Penn State. Uh, we see probably the best defensive coordinator this season in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. He now goes north to the Horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio. Jeff Tedford comes back out of retirement again to coach Fresno State uh, because Kalen DeBoer has gone to Washington. We knew that. Uh, Jay Norvell, a little bit of a head-scratcher, makes a lateral move from Nevada in the Mountain West to Colorado State in the Mountain West, although I think it's a better move for him because people in Colorado love their football a whole lot more than Nevadans do. And with Carson Strong announcing that he's leaving Nevada to go to the NFL, and rightfully so, which he also has opted out of that bowl game, so that makes Western Michigan look a little bit better in their bowl matchup against uh, Nevada. Um, then we go to, you know, I mean, we talk about changes, the transfer portal. Now, what the heck is up with this transfer portal? To me, it's far worse than at any point last year. And I hate the idea of these rent-a-players and rent-a-school. I don't have any issue, and I know we've talked about this, so I'm not going to get too deep in it. I don't have an issue with a player wanting to leave, but um, I thought that there was this rule that you get a one-time transfer move and one-time immediate eligibility, and after that, you have to sit out a year. I've seen a handful of players that I'm – pretty sure that they have already used their one-time rule and they're moving to a place where it sounds like they might be immediately eligible. I don't know if lawyers are getting involved. I don't know if there's, you know, loopholes and fine print that we're not aware of. Uh, and what's this business about players playing in the bowl game while they're currently in the transfer portal? So a couple guys from Western Kentucky, um, uh, Mitchell Tinsley and offensive tackle uh, Mason Brooks, they are in the portal and have intentions of leaving the school, but they say, we're going to play in our bowl game first. I don't understand why a coach would allow that. I don't know that that's good for any team chemistry. I mean, if I'm a teammate and I'm lining up next to my left tackle and I'm saying, so you're going to play with us now, get your bowl swag, and then you're going to bolt. Like what's, where's your loyalty? Why should you be in the starting lineup over somebody who's maybe busting their butt just as much? Maybe they don't have as much talent. Maybe it's equal talent. But why should we owe loyalty to somebody who's going to leave and have announced that they're going to leave uh, before the bowl game? So um, we look at some of the big transfer portal news. There's a lot of guys who have been in there, but uh, the ones who have landed, Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner going from Oklahoma to uh, South Carolina, rejoining Shane Beamer. I think that that's good moves for both of those players in terms of the familiarity with their coach. And I think Spencer Rattler would do himself a big service not going to a big-time program, not, not begrudging South Carolina but it clearly is a step down from the spotlight of Oklahoma. Michael Penix from Indiana is going to uh, reunite with Kalen DeBoer. He's going to Washington. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood going to Arkansas from Oklahoma. Jake Bobo, a, a very underrated receiver at Duke, has signed with UCLA. A uh, couple other interesting ones here. Uh, Chris Bogle and um, Aaron Brulé, two SEC edge players from Florida and Mississippi State, respectively. 
have signed on with Michigan State. So Mel Tucker, again, just slamming the transfer portal and bringing in top-end talent, as well as Jacoby Winman from UNLV. Now, I know it's UNLV, but Winman was an all-Mountain West player this year, and I think last year as well. So he's going to be a good outside backer uh, coming to East Lansing. So, you know, again, I know your favorite guy there, uh, Sully, he's, he's hitting the portal again. And, um, you know, so we're seeing this, but it, again, there, there needs to be a lot more ironing out of this transfer portal and nothing, nothing, nothing has been done since last year when they said, we're going to address it. We'll let the season play out. We'll let the season go on or the summer go on, but we will address the transfer portal. To my knowledge, nothing has been done. There's been no timeline set for this. And it kind of um, irritates me as a fan of the sport, not so much for the players or for the coaches, but just as a general fan of the sport. So Wax, um, let's uh, let's get more to the positive. And Sully and I have done pretty well the last couple of weeks. Let's hit us with a trivia question. See if you can stump us. I know that you've increased the degree of difficulty. Let's so let's see if we can clear the bar or if we're going to run face first into it. Okay, uh, I will say I will will offer one little thing about the transfer portal. I think that that there may be a provision that if the first time you were an undergrad and then the second time you're a grad transfer, I think grad transfers like Todd Centeo is transferring again, but I think he graduated at Colorado state, which would make him eligible immediately. So certainly I think that's one part of it. Why a few guys might be eligible when it's their second transfer, but you're probably right that there are other guys in there who are still listed as underclassmen who are maybe getting a second shot. And so, so I agree with you, but I know that that's one provision. If you're a grad transfer, then it doesn't matter that you've transferred before. Um, Okay, so this it is bowl season. So I think most of us would agree that the big four are the rose, orange, sugar, and cotton bowl, certainly from a tradition and prestige standpoint. Fenway. Fenway bowl. Outside of those big four, which current bowl game has been around the longest outside of those four? Um, I've heard this before, and I'm I'm trying to dig into my mind. I've been so uh, up with – bull picks and with uh, transfer portal movement when I, I'm going to have to say it's got to be something in the South. So I'm going to go with the, I want to say the peach bowl, but I'm sure it's something more obscure than that. Sully, what do you think? Uh, ooh. Uh, I'm going to go with, how about, uh, it's not your favorite bowl, the cheese it bowl. <laughs> it's not the pinstripe bowl. It's not the bar stool bowl. How about, uh, Arms Forces Bowl. No, that's a relatively new one. This is actually always, along with the Holiday Bowl, this is always my favorite non-New Year's Day Bowl, the Sun Bowl. Ah, yes. 1935. This game has been played since 1935 under a few different incarnations. The John Hancock Bowl, the John Hancock Sun Bowl, the Wells Fargo Bowl, but it's always been in El Paso. The opponents, I was not at this game. The El Paso All-Stars against Ranger, Texas, 25-21. I'm sure there was a last-minute TV pass. <laughs> it just thrilled the crowd of 3,000. Backdoor cover. Yes. That's right. Well, and Wax, isn't that now called the Tony the Tiger Bowl? Is that the sponsor? It is, but I refuse to call it that. Yeah, exa- thank you. Thank you. It will always be the- just like 
I will always call certain bowls by their original name. I am not going to give into corporate sponsorship unless they want to. Corporate sponsorship. We got a letter one time from one of the corporate sponsors when Ohio State went to a game saying, we want you to call this. And I said, I'll get around it by just not mentioning the game at all. Yep, sure. And, yep, exactly. Unless they want to sponsor uh, CFI, we're yes. going to call it by, by old school. But, you know, if hey. you want to send the swag, I'll do it. That's right. Yeah, we, we can cash in an NIL too. All right. Well, let's go to segment two here, quarter number two on CFI here on the CFP podcast. And this is conference calls. So we're going to go around the nation. And this week, we're going to relate it to bowl games. So as we talk about each conference in about two minutes or less per, per uh, guest or per host, we're going to uh, try and tie it into what's happened either coming up in the bowl season or what's been going on recently. So let's start in the Big Ten. Wax, uh, what's going on in Big Ten country? Well, there's nine Big Ten teams in the postseason, including three on New Year's Day. I think that most people would agree that the spotlight game is Ohio State and Pasadena against uh, Kyle Whittingham and Utah. First time participation for the Utes. But, I mean, Iowa's playing on New Year's Day after the season they've had. Penn State gets to take on Arkansas. Michigan's in a different boat because they are playing in the CFP against Georgia. Um and you've got a couple other Pac-12 matchups. you got Wisconsin against Arizona State. Mel Tucker, is Kenny Pickett playing for Pitt? I don't know. So you've got some pretty interesting games for the Big Ten. And while I don't always buy conference supremacy is based on bowl, uh, how you do in the bowls because yeah. of opt-outs, because of injuries, I do think it's an interesting time to see contrasting style of plays between uh, between conferences. So – Three New Year's Day games out of five is a pretty good mark for the Big Ten. And I think that a lot of people, especially with Penn State and Brent Pry and his and um, or James Franklin without Brent Pry, it's going to be interesting to see how Penn State adapts and how Ohio State does with the potential of maybe Garrett Wilson not playing, yep. knowing that Jim Knowles is coming in, but he's not going to be in this bowl game. So I think the Big Ten is going to be in quite a spotlight on New Year's Day and throughout the bowl season. All right, Sully, we're going to uh, throw it over to you. Tell us about our new favorite dancer, Brian Kelly. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to stay positive <laughs> with you guys, and I try to, to bring some, some light to this program, but then there's certain guys uh, that just get under my skin, Mel Tucker being one. Uh, <laughs> I had to stop myself from gagging there. And, uh, and Brian Kelly, you know what? Uh, I mentioned all the time in this program, being an Irish Catholic, he was the perfect guy to lead the fighting Irish. And then when he decided to pretend like he all of a sudden had a sudden draw and go down and, and uh, down to uh, Nolens and, and try to coach down in Louisiana. And you know what? He's just not the right guy. It'd be like Ed Orgeron trying to coach in Notre Dame, right? It's a complete opposite. Uh, but I think that uh, I know that down there, the, the, uh, Bayou Bengals and their faithful have, have a lot of uh, hopes and dreams on what Brian Kelly can do uh, based off his track record at Notre Dame. But just look at what went down today with the football commits, when, when, you know, one of them throughout the country. Uh, you obviously see Alabama and Georgia with elite classes. And they were – LSU was eighth overall in the SEC. Eighth. Like Missouri had a better, had a better draft uh, recruiting class. I mean, might as well call it a draft class. A better recruiting right. class than, than them. Eighth best in the SEC. They weren't even top 50 in all of college football. Now, I know a lot of that happens because, you know, the, they fired Ed Orgeron early on in the season, so there was a lot of instability there for at least a month. Um, but you look at some of these other schools, and they were able to pull off the hell of a draft class. Oklahoma did it. 
right? You, you see uh, some of these other schools, they find a way to still get the recruits or flip their recruits. And Brian Kelly just did not get it done. You look at that SEC championship, there was 140 players in between Alabama and Georgia that were either four or five-star recruits. Now I get it. You could be a five-star recruit and never play a snap in college. You could be a walk-on and you could end up being the starting quarterback. So that the, the stars don't necessarily tell the picture, but they do at some point also add up to, to mean a whole lot. And, you know, you get four straight Alabama quarterbacks going to the Heisman Trophy celebration. I mean, this is a, a very dangerous territory that Brian Kelly's walking into. And uh, I say it all the time, and, and maybe there's a, a little bit of humor to it, but in three years, if he hasn't brought them to the college football playoffs or at least to an SEC championship game, man, they're going to be paying him to walk because uh, I get sick to my stomach just thinking LSU play, paid Ed Orgeron $15 million to walk away. They paid Notre Dame $15 million to get the head coach away from them. Then they paid Brian Kelly what they're paying him. So $30 yep. million just to have this head ball coach, and, uh, and he can't even get you a top 15 recruiting class. So – you know what? I get it. He only had a week to 10 days to do it, but you're getting paid that much money. You better go out there and start flipping recruits. Yep. And uh, I mean, Brian Kelly supporters will say, well, he didn't have top five recruiting classes at Notre Dame and he won 10 games X number of seasons, but recruiting in the SEC West especially is a whole different ball game and, and you've got to have it. Now, again, I will cut him a little bit of slack because it was late in the process, but if, again, I've been really perturbed at how Brian Kelly has, I, I, I usually respected him, but he's kind of had this holier than thou, no pun intended uh, aura about him ever since he's taken the LSU job. And I can only speculate that he has a three-year plan. And if he doesn't accomplish a natty in three years, he knows he's probably going to get let, let go. And that'll probably be his retirement. So he's sitting pretty in, in his eyes because he's getting paid. And he has this short timetable in my estimation anyway. All right, moving to the Pac-12. Um, they have only six bowl teams this year out of 12 total in the conference. So that's 50% for a lot of you uh, math majors out there. And in the last five bowl seasons, the PAC 12 has only had two non losing um, records and only one of them was a winning record. So 0 and two, four and three, three and four, one and eight in 2017 and three and three last year, or I'm sorry, uh, three and three and, 2016. So going back the last five years, uh, this year, like I said, they've got six bowl teams and really not a lot of headliners. So Utah once again dominated Oregon, you know, going back to the Pac 12 championship. I mean, you think about it in two games, the Utes outscored the Oregon Ducks by a combined total of 76 to 17. Yuck, ugly. It's no wonder that Mario Cristobal didn't really have too much of a problem leaving there. I know he's going back home to the U where he played. And, and he's going home to be with uh, with grandma. But, um, you know, he he certainly left a bad taste in the mouth of Oregon Duck fans. Um, rumors from Salt Lake City are that Kyle Whittingham, who's in his mid 60s, this might be his last game. He hasn't officially said anything. And again, this is just kind of rumors twirling around. But uh, if they win, if they beat Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, I think that might give him the ultimate swan song. And, you know, I, I hope for. Uh, number 22 sake, both Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan, that Utah can get it done. And I really like Kyle Whittingham. Uh, and I'm not trying to put down Ohio State, but uh, that, that's a tall order. And we'll get to that when we, when we pick that game. Uh, so, um, you know, just, just very interesting. So my, my first thought is who would replace him? Would they look at Dan Mullen coming back to uh, Salt Lake City where he was the OC under Urban Meyer? Would they possibly give a call to Bronco Mendenhall, who coached for so long at BYU? 
it's not unprecedented because remember Kyle Whittingham played at BYU and now he's been the longtime coach at Utah. So it's not, it's not unheard of to cross the Holy, uh, the Holy line there. But I really think that the, the guy in waiting will be Morgan Scally, who is the D coordinator. He played defense under Whittingham. And I think he just seems like a really good fit as long as all the, the X's and O's line up in terms of, um, you know, perception and whatnot. So that's what we got in Pac-12, boys. Let's go to the ACC. Um, Sully. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that uh, it's been an interesting offseason for the ACC where uh, you kind of had, you know, Clemson playing in an irrelevant cheese at bowl and, uh, you know, Michigan um, – I'm sorry, you got Pitt, um, you know, now playing against Michigan State in, in a really exciting bowl game, but you don't even know if the, the face of the ACC this season is playing in it. So it's kind of been a funky uh, little weird offseason here for uh, for that conference. But, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about what Miami did to Manny Diaz. And, well, actually, I think you said it offline to in the group chat, but that's one of the dirtiest moves that you could do is basically say we're going to, you know, we're going to offer the job to another coach. If he takes it, then it's his job. If not, then, uh, then we'll keep you around. Uh, you know, and, and if you're Manny Diaz, how do you ever go back to a school like that and know that you're not the, the number one guy? I mean, obviously they're going to pay you millions of dollars. So you'll suck it up and do it. Uh, but I was really happy to hear that he got to, to move on to Penn state and be the D coordinator and at least find another job and, you know, in a, a power five conference. Cause a lot of time these guys, when they have to step aside, they may not immediately get back to a power five. Um, and, and for him to get back that quick was pretty cool. So I was pretty happy to hear that. And, you know, you just touched on uh, Mario Cristobal going back to the, uh, to Miami, to his roots. You know what? That's a cool story. Cause he's from there. He played there and, and, and everything. And he's a hell of a recruiter. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how he's able to put that together. But uh, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a, an awkward feeling because the ACC usually is still relevant at this point in time. And, and really it's not right. I mean, Pitt's the best team in the ACC and you know that game's kind of looked at as well I mean it could have been a great New Year's Six Bowl because I think we're all kind of expecting that Pickett and Walker are just not going to play at some point and uh and it's it's kind of a the ACC almost feels like the Pac-12 right now yeah and uh I, just a, a quick side note Sully how excited will you be if Kenny Pickett plays and if they beat Mel Tucker I mean you talk about the ultimate Sully rooting cord there it's yeah. Kenny Pickett, your boy, going against uh, your nemesis, Mel Tucker. So a lot of rooting interest if, if number eight decides to play for Pitt one more time. Well, you know, I'm trying not to get too excited about it because I, I really <laughs> feel like I'm, I'm going to get let down and he's not going to play. It. Right. You know, it's uh, it's going to feel a lot like that year when Auburn played uh, played UCF and UCF won the game because Auburn rested, you know, a lot of their players didn't play. You know, that's what Michigan State is. They're, they're, uh, they might as well be a group of five team in my heart. Well, Santa Claus, if you're listening, um, if you could please let Kenny Pickett play for Mr. Sullivan, that would be his his one Christmas wish this year. Uh, we would love that. All right, uh, Wax, Big 12. What can the Big 12 do to gain regain relevance? That, that, that's a good question. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago. Oklahoma State was, was this close to – crashing the CFP party and kind of holding up the, the stealing the banner from Oklahoma for the big 12 saying, look, we're here. We're still important. They played great defense, but ultimately fell just a little short against Baylor. I mean, they get a nice consolation prize for playing Notre Dame, but I mean, uh, you touched on it uh, early in the show. Oklahoma was expected to contend for the national championship and they got a new coach and they're playing in the Alamo Bowl. I mean, yeah, Oklahoma-Oregon sounds like a big game, but in the Alamo Bowl, really? And Oklahoma State, again, 
Notre Dame, that, that, that's a nice game. Baylor all Miss is interesting. But, I mean, even Kansas State makes it. And they've got a nice old team, but they're playing in the, in the tax, that, tax Act Texas Bowl. And it's like, come on. So it's not quite to the level of the Pac-12 and ACC as far as no one's talking about them. But given how the preseason expectations were, Oklahoma was expected to be good. Texas was supposed to be back, and they started well and then collapsed. Um, Iowa State was supposed to be a national title contender. That didn't happen. So I think they need to retool a little bit and decide, do we want to be the offensive juggernauts that we have been for years, or do you want to follow the Oklahoma State lead and maybe say with Dave Aranda at Baylor and with a couple of the new coaches coming in, do we want to maybe embrace a defensive mindset? So I think this bowl season is going to be somewhat important, but I think the off season is going to be a lot more important for the big 12 to kind of recalibrate itself. And one of the best things for the big 12 would be Cincinnati upsetting Alabama and at least making it to the national championship game this year, because they would certainly, even though it's two years from now, they would certainly be bringing that, uh, that clout to a, a conference in the big 12 that really needs it. Yes. Uh, speaking of Cincinnati and the group of five, we know Cincinnati has made it. And, and, you know, for college football purists, I think that that that's really a, a cool thing. Um, and maybe purist is the bad word, but people who, who love, you know, the, the entertainment of the sport and the parody of the sport, it's a good thing. And so I, I remember seeing on Twitter that UCF fans were kind of taking credit for that saying, well, uh, Cincinnati has UCF in 2017 to thank because, they ran the table. They went undefeated. And if it wasn't for that season, then maybe Cincinnati doesn't get a shot. I say pump the brakes. Remember a team named Boise State um, who did it not once but twice and really got people thinking, well, maybe there's something to these group of five schools. Maybe there's something. And that's that's really the reason why we, we put it into a power five and a group of five. It's no longer just, oh, well, these teams from the Mountain West or these teams from, uh, you know, the AAC it's this is a a group of five uh school and, and that has more meaning now and it's had more meaning really every year since 2017 so not to take anything away from the the Knights of 2017 but um don't you dare for one second slight the Boise State Broncos and Chris Peterson and uh Dan Hawkins before him Dirk Cutter uh they they built up something good there but speaking of group of five conferences listen to how well uh things looked this year the group of five had five 11-win teams this year. They had six, or there are only six in the uh, Power Five combined, okay? So I know that's one more, but when people talk about how the Power Five and Group of Five are, are night and day, the number of 11-win teams, which is hard to do, I don't care what conference you play in, is, is pretty close there. Cincinnati was 13-0, and conference champs. Houston, 11-2. and Texas San Antonio, 12-1. and San Diego State, 11-2. and Louisiana, 12-1. and um, and each group had the same number of 12 plus win teams. So there were three in the power five. There were three in the group of five. And again, Cincy, UTSA, and Louisiana were all 12 plus win teams. So I want to use this brief platform to just applaud the group of five and those coaches, those schools, those players, because to win 12 games in college football, again, regardless of what conference you play in, that's saying something. And let's not forget that. Louisiana, their one loss was to Texas in the opener this year. And, and anything can happen in an opener. They won 12 straight after that. And then UTSA, had they not, um, you know, dropped the ball against North Texas, 
would be sitting here possibly undefeated as well. So kudos to these group of five teams. When we uh, come back, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to get into our cover four segment. And then we're going to hit you with the first round of bowl picks as Sully, Wax, and I are going to pick pretty much every bowl game and every winner this year and see how we stack up and if we can continue the uh, regular season trend or if somebody's going to emerge as the bowl champion. This is CFI on the CFP podcast. We'll be right back. And we're back here on CFI, College Football Impact on the CFP podcast. Again, follow us on Twitter at CFP, CFB is in college football. So it's time now for Cover 4. Cover 4, I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. We have four questions with some thoughts from each one of us. And we're going to start with question number one. And we'll start with you, Sully. Which team without a head coach this bowl season is in best shape to win their bowl game? Well, so uh, I think that it's probably going to go down to uh, Louisiana, right? I think that they, Billy Napier just built such a, a solid foundation down there. Uh, you know, you look at some of the schools where their coaches left, and I think there, there's probably a lot of resentment, uh, you know, in Notre Dame when their coach left, at Oklahoma when their coach left. Uh, you know, teams like Florida and LSU, they're still trying to figure it out. But I, I think with Louisiana, I really listening to what how the school reacted to that, how the players reacted to that. They're really happy for, for Billy. Right. I mean, they, they this was kind of a long time coming, I think, over the last couple of years. And uh, I think he may have given them a few more years longer than they expected in, in, in that school. So I think that that is just such a uh, solid foundation that they're not going to skip a beat. Um, you know, it's a good matchup against Marshall. And I think, if anything, they, they may be one of the more impressive teams this bowl season. I think they're going to go out there and they're going to run all over the herd. All right. Wax, who do you think? Um, I'm taking it literally as in a coach who isn't going to be around for the bowl game. I think Fresno State, even though Kellen DeBoer took the Washington job, um, I think UTEP is kind of up against it just from a talent deficit. Um, I do think that they have uh, some, some good players. I do know that Jake Hayner – decided to come back out of the portal. I don't know if it's 100% that he's going to play. If he plays, then it's a slam dunk. But even if he doesn't, um, the other guys have played a little bit this year. So I don't think it's going to be a completely foreign situation. I think Fresno State is in line to win their bowl game and maybe even win comfortably without their head coach. Yeah, I would agree with both of those. Um, the one I'm going to go with is Oklahoma, and it's mainly because they were smart and brought Bob Stoops in to be the coach for that game. Stoops has had a pulse here for the last few years, especially because his son is on the team. Um, you know, he's, he's had incredible clout there in Norman and was kind of instrumental, I think, in helping bring Brent Venables to Norman. And I know Venables wanted to be there, but Venables was his D coordinator, his co-D coordinator, when Stoops won the national title in 2000 and only his second season. Um, I think that they're playing an Oregon team that is, a little bit discombobulated. They're going to be without Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, they're without their head coach, obviously, even though I read today that the Oregon staff is going to stay intact. Half of them are going down to Miami, so their minds are going to be kind of, um, you know, torn here and there. DJ James has uh, put himself in the transfer portal, a starting member of the secondary. So I like Oklahoma to favor the best in terms of uh, teams without a coach. Question two. 
Favorite non-New Year's Six bowl game this season, Wax? I know that this was kind of your idea off air. So start us off. What's your favorite non-New Year's Six bowl game? Man, I'm going back and forth between two of them. Um, I really like the Fenway Bowl. Offensive fireworks with SMU and Virginia. But I think I'm going to opt for the Gator Bowl with Texas A&M and their dudes going against your man, Sam Hartman, and Wake Forest, who has proven they can score on just about anybody. They can't stop anyone, but I'll be real interested to see what happens when Wake Forest goes up against, as they say, SEC speed and SEC dudes, because I really like their offense, and I like what they've done all year. And A&M has had a couple of fits and starts offensively. They did get into a groove kind of near the end of the year, and – Athlete for athlete, you got to give them the nod. But that one to me is just really, really intriguing. And that's what I'm going to be glued to. And I'm intrigued too because AM is going to be without a couple of those dudes. They're going to be without Mike Elko, um, who went to take the job at Duke. They're going to be, I don't know who's going to play quarterback for them because Zach Calzada is in the transfer portal. Haynes King, um, maybe he'll be back, but he's been out ever since the the Alabama or no, the uh, the Colorado game, I think, this year, like in week three or four. So That'll be interesting. And uh, just throwing this out there, I saw that Max Johnson from LSU, who put himself in the portal, is leaning heavily towards going to Jimbo and AM. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, mine is uh, I like the, the Michigan State and Pitt game. So, and it's mainly because of what we talked about earlier, Sully. I like Mel Tucker and what uh, he's got this year. I think Kenneth Walker is leaning towards playing, but I, I really, really hope Kenny Peckett plays in this game not just because of, you know, the other stuff that we mentioned, but he's just a fun player to watch. He's somebody who looks like he loves playing the game. And I love the interviews with him on college game day. And then at the Heisman show where he basically said um, he was so glad that he got advice and came back for this season. And clearly it's paying big dividends for him. So I want to see him with a one final game. Um, and, and like you had touched on Sully, I just, when you're, when you're playing in a, as a conference champ, when you're playing in a pretty big bowl game like this against a pretty big opponent, why not play in it? Uh, you can take out the insurance policy because, you know, who knows what the NFL's got for you in store anyway, especially at quarterbacks. So why not go out with your boys one more time? What do you think, Sully? What's your, what's your favorite non-New Year's Six goal, bowl game? Well, uh, you know what, Chappie? What happened when you woke up this morning? I don't know. That's a loaded question. Um, the sun was shining. When I woke up? I woke up feeling the cheesiest. Ah, <laughs> damn it. You did it again. <laughs> no, I knew your sixth bowl, the cheese it bowl, you know, for, for a few reasons, usually that bowl game is with teams who are expecting to be in a much more important game. And this is kind of like a, a major letdown. So the games always suck, right? They're always it's, like, remember there was that one year, I think Oregon was in it and the final score was like nine to six. Like the games are never good. Uh, but just watching that first segment when they talk about what the players get in their, their bowl swag bag is always fun. Yep. You go to a team in Clemson who not only did they expect to be in the, in the college football championship, but I guess as a, as a fallback, they at least expected that they were going to win the ACC championship or at least play for it. Uh, and then you have an Iowa State team who has a lot of veteran leadership in Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. And I, I think from what I've read, they're both still considering playing. I, I think they're both leaning towards playing. And, Matter yeah. of fact, I don't think I've heard anything to the contrary. So nope. I think you're going to have two totally different contrasting styles. Iowa State's going to be pumped up. You know, Cam was going to have them ready to play. It's Brock Purdy's last game there with the Cyclones. You know, Hall's got every single record. He's going to want to go out and really ball out for the scouts. And then you're going to have Clemson, who they have no identity, right? They don't have Venables anymore. He's gone. 
They don't have Tony Ella anymore. He's gone. You still get Dabo. You still you still get that. He's going to go in there and play the whole underdog role, the we're, we're not respected role, which is such BS because you're Clemson and you're supposed to win these games. But it is going to be so interesting to see how Clemson comes out in place because I tell you what, first in that game, Iowa State's going to hit him in the mouth. And Clemson's not ready to fight back. This could be really kind of fun to say that about a Clemson team number. But it's true, man. It, it, this is a good game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, all right. Question three, which conference do you see performing the best this bowl season, meaning which conference will have the most number of wins or maybe even the best winning percentage? Wax, let's go to you. Um, well, I think as I think this could be twofold. Which will do the best? I think if you're going to say who's going to have the national champion, it's likely the SEC. They right. do have some tough matchups. They probably will have the most wins just because if it's an SEC final – they're guaranteed to have at least uh, three in the uh, in in the CFP alone, so I'll say the SEC. But don't be surprised if one of the Group of Five conferences always jumps up. I think the MAC this year could really do a good job because they have some matchups that are conducive to winning some football games, and I wouldn't be shocked if the MAC of their seven or eight teams maybe can win five or six of those. Okay, Sully, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the SEC, and it's for a lot of the reasons that Wax just mentioned. Uh, but, you know, listen, I, I, the whole perception of the Southeast Conference is always – it just means more, right? The teams are always in it in the finals. Uh, you know, last year Alabama won, the year before LSU won. Uh, they're always represented in the CFP, and, and even more so, you kind of feel like that trickles down, and there's a lot of pride with, with A&M, with Kentucky, uh, with Missouri going up against Army. Uh, now, uh, there's a lot of tough games there for the SEC, but – I think just in general with Bama and Georgia probably having statement wins in the in the final four with AM probably having a big win. Uh, I just think it's gonna be they may not have the most overall wins, but I think they're gonna definitely have the biggest marquee wins. Uh and, and it's gonna be a good season for Greg Sankey and the boys. I'm gonna go outside the box here a little bit. I'm gonna say the independence because they've got four bowl teams and I think all four are gonna win. Army, Liberty, BYU, Notre Dame. Um and traditionally the independents have done the, the best in terms of winning percentage. Granted, they only get about two or three bowl teams a year, so that kind of skews the numbers a little bit, but they at least win um, either going 2-0 and or 2-1 and or 3-0. and I think they could go 4-0 and this year based on their matchups, but I, I think that the Big Ten actually might get more wins total than the SEC when it when all shakes out. Um, and the MAC, which usually does terrible wax, I could see them getting – um, you know, four bowl wins this year, which is a, a big improvement for them. If they go four and four or 500, that's, that's a win for that conference because typically they only win one or two, sometimes no wins, bowl wins. All right, question four. Which team do you see having a good bowl game to springboard into 2022? And I'll start off here. I think it's Louisville. Number one, Malik Cunningham announced that he's coming back next year. Scott Satterfield was told that he is safe and um, he doesn't have to worry about his job right now, but I think he's clearly in an audition year next season. Uh, they got Tyon Evans in the transfer portal, who was the leading rusher for Tennessee this year, a seven-win Tennessee team. Um, they're they're in line to get some other uh, potential transfers. So I just think that uh, with the, the youth that they had this year and with Scott Satterfield's offensive mind, if he can get that chemistry in the right place, I think Louisville could beat Air Force in this year's bowl game and win semi-convincingly, and then lead into a, a pretty promising 2022, at least as we look ahead 
uh, before the season starts. Wex, let's go to you. I'm between two SEC teams. I think I'm going to opt for Tennessee. Hendon Hooker said he's coming back next year. They were actually a little bit better. I know that they had some moments because so many guys left in the offseason. But by the end of the year, they looked like a pretty solid team. They're young. They've got some talent. They've got a pretty solid recruiting class coming in. You did mention that uh, Tyon Evans is gone, but it's never hard for Tennessee to find running backs. Right. Um, I think if Tennessee can do well against Purdue, which is going to be without David Bell and George Karloftis, I think that could really set the wheels in motion for them to make an upward move in the SEC East. All right, Sully, which team do you see having a good bowl game to springboard into 2022? Yeah, this one I think is, is pretty easy on my end. It's uh, it's Notre Dame. And you guys know I'm not the biggest Notre Dame uh, thumper out there, but, uh, you know, the way that everything – transpired so quickly with Brian Kelly leaving with Marcus Freeman getting the job, but more importantly with the veterans on that team, with the upperclassmen going to the administration, to the boosters and saying, this is the guy that we want. Uh, I get to imagine there's just so much pride and so much passion in that locker room. Um, because most of the time when, when a coach leaves and a new coach comes in, they don't coach the bowl games. They don't get to right. do the practices, but Freeman was there. So he was, he was the DC. So he just, he probably just moved his office up one. And, uh, and, you know, maybe may have got a better residence on off campus, but that's the only chance that he had to make. He's still – that team is going to play so hard for them. He's gonna, they're going to want him to go out there and have the biggest win of the bowl season to start his tenure as the head coach. Uh, so I think it's a no-brainer. I think they get a big win over Oklahoma State. And uh, I, think, I think Freeman starts his career off 1-0. I like it. I like it. And we know that you are Irish Catholic, so you, you do have uh, a little bit of dog in the fight there. So, all right, gentlemen, it is time for segment four, our pick segment. You either win me or win, 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 win. Yeah. Curve everything else. Win, 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 win. So it is bowl season, and we've taken the top six bowls between Friday when they kick off and our next uh, podcast next week. And then we'll also give you the other ones that are sprinkled in. So we're going to be fairly quick on this, fellas. So we'll start with the Bahamas Bowl with Middle Tennessee, a seven and a half point underdog to the Toledo Rockets out of the mat. So, um, Sully, let's start with you. Toledo, uh, seven and a half point favorite. Do you like them or do you like Middle Tennessee? No, I, I like Toledo in this one. Uh, I, I think that it's, you know, they're going to kick it off in a good way. The Bahamas Bowl, you kind of really never know what you're going to get out of it. It's an awkward bowl. There's really never anyone there, and you know it's uh, you, you don't know how teams are going to travel down to the Bahamas. But um, you know what? I've been down to the Bahamas on spring break before, and I think Toledo's going on their spring break, and they're going to be partying hard with a big win. All right. Well, uh, some would argue that maybe the the party hard could be a distraction, but you're going with motivation. Wax, how do you think? Um, I tend to agree as someone who also has been to the Bahamas. Uh, it is easy to get distracted down there. I will say that Middle Tennessee, with its issues at quarterback, they're down to third and fourth string guys. I know both of them have played, but they haven't played a lot. And Toledo seemed to get better when Daquan Finn came in. He's mobile. He can get out on the edge. Um, It seems like a big number, but I think Toledo has really kind of been an up-and-down team this year. I think they finally put it together for Jason Candle and that they cover in this game. I'm going to take Toledo, given the points. All right, uh, I'm going to go against, and I'm going to say that uh, Middle Tennessee is going to keep it a little bit closer, and I'm doing that because I'm kind of keeping it open. Rick Stockstill has been coaching there for a long time, 
Jason Candle's a good coach, but I just can't figure out Toledo this year. So because of that, I'm going to take Middle Tennessee to cover the seven and a half point as a dog um, and to give the show a little bit more flavor going against you two uh, slappies. So let's go down to Orlando. Also on December 17th, this Friday, the Cure Bowl, Northern Illinois and Coastal Carolina. So Northern Illinois, the MAC champs, Thomas Hammock is definitely deserving of at least some coach of the year awards. I know that he maybe wasn't the national one, but certainly in group of five, he was the dude. I I think that 10 and a half is a big point spread, especially considering that Grayson McCall, um, it's not clear whether he's going to play in this game. He's kind of been nicked a little, a little bit this year. And you know, what's his future going to look like? Willie Korn, the offensive coordinator, he's going to be kind of targeted for some openings in terms of uh, maybe an upper-level OC job. So because of that, I just don't know that I can trust Coastal Carolina to win by 10.5, even though I love those guys. I love Coach uh, Chadwell. I'm going to take the Huskies of Northern Illinois because anytime I thought this was the time that they're probably not going to win, they proved me wrong. So I'm going to be on their side this time. I'm taking the Huskies getting the 10.5. Wax. I was up and down on this too, mainly because of the aforementioned uh, Grayson McCall, the fact that we don't know how healthy he is. I do know that Coastal expected a little bit more out of itself this year. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they really try to put it all together and go out with a bang. I haven't heard beyond McCall and maybe Willie Korn, guys who aren't going to play. So I do think you're going to have a pretty full compliment. I know Northern Illinois is supposed to get uh, Tyrese Ritchie back, yep. which um, is, is certainly going to be a big boost for them. I just, Northern Illinois has has, has has had trouble stopping potent offenses this year. They score a lot of points too, but and I think actually the play would probably be the over in this game, but if I'm taking a side, I think Coastal wants to leave a good impression for next year and that they're going to be able to cover a pretty big number and win by about 13. Okay. Uh, Sully, what do you what do you like on this one? Well, what I don't like, Chappie, is you going against a friend of the program at CFI going against the Chadwell. But you know I what? Know. You did it. And uh, I have also been to Orlando. And one thing I know about Orlando is bullets make you king down in Orlando. <laughs> so for that reason and that reason alone, I'm taking the chance big time in this one. Uh, I think McCall plays. I think it's important for that program to get back to 11 wins. Uh, for, you know, two years in a row to get over that double-digit hump. I think there's plenty to play for in this one. Uh, it's not as crazy of a ride as it is, obviously, for Northern uh, Illinois to get down there. So, I like the chance big time. I'll even I'll even throw uh, about some 50 B.O.B. bucks in this one. Ooh, okay. Um, like that. Yeah, uh, Sully, you're, you've been more places than Flat Stanley. I mean, Wax, you talk about all the places that I've quote-unquote lived. Sully has been around the world and back. So, all right, the next one, we've got some unity here, and it's nice to have all three of us on one side, at least for part of the segment. We've got the Independence Bowl in Louisiana. All three of us like BYU minus seven. Um, Wax, any thoughts as to why you like the Cougs over the Blazers in this one? I love Bill Clark, and I love UAB, and I love how hard they play. I just think that they're outmanned in this one. Dwayne McBride's not going to play. Um, BYU... Really, they exceeded my expectation. I thought they were going to kind of come back to earth after last uh, last season. Me too. But they, they really got it going. Tyler Algier is going to be a real handful for UAB. I just think it's going to be limited possessions, and I think BYU is going to score enough points that they're going to be able to cover in this one. And I think they win fairly comfortably 
And I'm actually going to put some uh, some bucks on this one, too. Give me 30 on this one on uh, BYU. Okay. Sully, uh, any reasons why you like the, the Cougs in this one? Yeah, this is an easy one. Chappie, tell them again where, where the game is. Uh, it is in Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. And down in Louisiana, what reigns supreme? Cougars, right? There's always Cougars <laughs> every time you go out in Louisiana, whether it's in Nola or just outside. Cougars, baby. And you know what? Because of that, BYU went big. That's I, I have nothing to add to that because there's no top in that justification, that logic. Cougars all the way, baby. Um, and congrats to Kalani Sataki for um, landing that extension. And kudos to BYU for keeping him because he is really the, the most untapped gem, along with Tyler Algier, in college football. All right, let's go to the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, we've got my uh, semi-alma mater, Eastern Michigan University, a nine-and-a-half-point dog against Liberty, the Flames, and Hugh Freeze. Um, Wax, who do you got in this one? I think Liberty probably wins. It sounds like Malik Willis is going to play. I know that he had a little bit of a bumpy ride at the end of the season. I think he's going to want to prove to NFL scouts that he is the guy that they thought he was. So I think Liberty is going to win the game, but EMU always comes to play. They've got a really good offensive line that might be able to control the clock. So I think EMU keeps this close, may not win the game, but I think they stay within the nine and a half. All right, I'm going to stay on that side with you. I, I can see Liberty winning. In fact, I think I did pick them straight up in uh, one of my bowl pools. But Eastern Michigan, especially in the second half of the season, they have kept games close, and it's because their offense can move. Hassan Badouin, um, uh, Samson Evans running the ball. He's a, he's a great red zone threat. And Ben Bryant, a Cincinnati transfer, is a, is a dude who can sling it. I think Eastern can keep it certainly close within uh, those two scores. So I like Eastern to cover, even though um, Malik Willis and Liberty might get the W. Sully, who do you like? You know, it's funny. I completely forgot all about Ben Bryant. And I remember watching him play D.C. in a bowl game about three years ago. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that was a little flashback there. But, uh, you know, I like Liberty in this one. I think that this game means a lot to Malik Willis because I know he was predicted in, in some circles as being the top overall quarterback. If not the top, at least the top three. Definitely a first round. And he's had some duds. So I think he keeps this big time to show out. Uh, I think Hugh Freeze knows that. And I think if he can get a first round quarterback out of uh, Malik Willis, then that's a major feather in his cap, in Liberty's cap, and uh, even the whole conference going forward. So they're really going to center everything around what he's doing. He will play. They'll make sure he's healthy enough to play. If it's up to him, he'll be there. And uh, I think they win big. All right, let's go to the L.A. Bowl. Utah State, the Mountain West champs, and really one of the pleasant surprises this year with uh, head coach Blake Anderson leaving Arkansas State, leaving some of his tragedy behind, starting fresh in Utah State, and leads them to a, uh, a double-digit win season. They are a seven-point dog to Jonathan Smith and the Oregon State Beavers. Smith taking Oregon State to a bowl for the first time in his um, short tenure there as head coach. Um, I'm going to start off. I think that this is significant for Jonathan Smith. They inked him to an extension. I think that he's really got things moving in the right direction up in Corvallis and extending that to other places. And and certainly opportunity is going to open up with uh, Oregon kind of um, you know restarting or, or refreshing, if you will, with Dan Lanning coming in. But getting back to this bowl game, I think Oregon State's run game, I think their physical nature on offense, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the country. I think they're going to be too much for Utah State, so I like them to win um, getting the, or giving the seven points plus some more. And, in fact, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put 30 B.O.B. bucks on that one. 
Sully, who do you like in this one? I like Utah State. I like the coach. I like Anderson. Uh, you know what? In a game like this, where I kind of feel like you could go either way, uh, I'm not going to put any B.O.B. bucks on. I'm not going to put any hard sweat into it. I'm just going to go with the team that I'd enjoy uh, rooting for more, and that would definitely be Blake Anderson and Utah State. Wet. Um, I know that Jim Harbaugh won the Coach of the Year award, but I Blake Anderson was my number one choice when I had a vote. I just think I agree. What, what he did there, um, considering their roster wasn't bad, but what he overcame and the fact that Utah State was picked to be third or fourth in their division, I think was just really a great coaching job. I like Utah State uh, in this game. There, no Avery Roberts for Oregon State, I think, is going to impact their defense. Um, they also are going to miss Trayshawn Harrison at least for the first half right. because in a fight. So Oregon State seems to get take some time to get going, and I think Utah State has some quick strike potential if they get up early on them. I think that you could see Oregon State maybe really scrambling, doubting themselves, and wondering, can we win this game? So. I'm going to take Utah State plus the points, but I think they win the game outright. All right, Chappy. Uh, shocker over here that uh, a writer from Columbus didn't take John, Jim Harbaugh as the uh, coach of the year. <laughs> right, right. I know. Well, um, well, we'll see how he goes. I mean, to me, it, it's more about what he does from here. Winning against Ohio State was good. I don't really give him too much credit for beating Iowa, although they, they drubbed Iowa, but Iowa can't play offense to save their life this year. So we'll see how they fare in the uh, CFP. More to come on that. All right. Uh, going to the Frisco Bowl in Texas, San Diego State and Brady Hope, former Michigan coach, against Jeff Trailer and the UTSA Roadrunners. UTSA, a two-and-a-half point favorite here. Sully, let's start with you. Who do you like between the Meat Meats and the Aztecs? I like the Meat Meats. You know what? A Roadrunner was always my favorite of the Looney Tunes. And, uh, you know, again, you, got, you, you guys are really the group of five guys that, that know more about this. I watched a lot of it. Silly don't dig it down as deep. But uh, they were a fun story. They were fun to watch. Uh, I think them, you know, losing that perfect record was a major bummer for the whole program. But they, I think they rebound nicely, and I think they get a big win here uh, in, in the bowl season. Wax, do you agree, or are you going to go over to uh, the Hoaxers and SDSU? No, I agree. I think that, that losing may actually sh have, have shaken them up. Um, they, they have, the games have been getting progressively closer, and I think that maybe that drubbing uh, at the hands of, uh, of North Texas really might have been what they needed. Frank Harris is a really good player. Um, Sincere McCormick is one of the criminally underrated running backs in America. Zachary Franklin, it's, it's a pretty good defense. They're active. I know they're not going to have uh, Rashad Wisdom because of a targeting call, but that guy will hit you in the next week. So when he comes back in the second half, San Diego State can go like 50 minutes between scores. That offense is brutal to watch. Now, their D is great. They come at you from all angles. They can get after the quarterback. So this is, I think, going to be a low-scoring game, but I think UTSA can get just enough offense going that they can cover the spread on this one. I'm actually going to take San Diego State. I think that that loss um, really shook up UTSA in um, a little more of a negative way. They they seem like they controlled the Conference USA Championship, but they allowed Western Kentucky to kind of creep back in that game, and the final was a lot closer than what it should have been. Plus, that was in their home dome. So I think that that's an asterisk on that. 
Uh, Brady Hoke at San Diego State had a great season, and I'm going to lean towards a team that can play defense when it's such a toss-up. I mean, I could see this game going either way, but I'm going to side with Brady Hoke and the Aztecs in this one um, as a two-and-a-half-point dog. All right, quick answers, gentlemen. We're going to go through the remaining bowls between now and next Tuesday. So Western Kentucky and App State. App State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Give me App State. Sully, who do you got? App State, baby. Wax. Also like App State. All right. Um, the New Mexico Bowl, UTEP and Fresno State. We actually kind of already talked about it. Um, Fresno State is an 11.5-point favorite. Um, Wax, let's start with you. Who do you like in this one? I think they win by about 16. I just think that UTEP, good story, don't have the athletes Fresno State has. I think Fresno State wins pretty comfortably. I'm going to go against it. I think that that's kind of a large spread when they lost their head coach, their offensive coordinator, and uh, kind of a cool story. Kellen Moore's brother is going to be calling the offensive plays, so this could be a, a good audition for him. Jake Hainer, we don't know he's practicing with the team, um, but anyway, I'm, I'm talking too much here. I actually like UTEP to cover the 11.5, but Fresno State gets the W. Sully, who do you like? UTEP? Money line. All right, yep. That's a good money line, I think. Um, all right, the New Orleans Bowl. Marshall and Louisiana, amidst all those Cougars that uh, Sully claims are in New Orleans. Uh, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, a five-point favorite. I think that's a little bit low, so give me the Cajuns here. Easy. Wax, who do you like? I also think it's easy, especially since Billy Napier is uh, sticking around. I do think his team will play for him. I don't think there's animosity. I think they're going to win this by double digits. Sully. Cajuns. Cajuns. I like it. Myrtle Beach Bowl um, in Brooks Stadium, where the Chanticleers normally play. Coach Chadwell's backyard. Old Dominion, their first bowl appearance as an FBS team against Tulsa. Tulsa, a head-scratcher, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite here. At least it's a head-scratcher to me. So I'm going to go ODU here to cover and win. Ricky Ronnie gets his first bowl victory. Wax, who do you like? Tulsa has, has, has been a perplexing team. I know that they have some guys who have uh, entered the portal, including their one of their best receivers, Sam Crawford. Um, I just think that Philip Montgomery knows how to get his team ready. And Old Dominion, this is new to them. They might be a little bit intimidated. It seems like a high number. I'm going to take Tulsa. I'm just kind of pissing into the wind here. All right. <laughs> I can go for you or can go against you. Uh, Sully, who do you like, Tulsa or ODU? Listen, when you're down to Myrtle Beach, it's very dangerous to piss into the wind. It's very windy down there, but I'm going to go <laughs> Tulsa. All right, and then our last one, um, Wyoming, a three-point favorite in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl where it's usually butt-butt cold up there in Boise, Idaho. Um, you've got Kent State and Wyoming. Again, Wyoming, a three-point favorite. Sully, give us your last pick here, the Cowboys or the, the Golden Flashes? The boys, easy. Big win. All right. All right. You know what? I'll, I'll, even, I'll even put 100 B.O.B. bucks. Oh, there's the Sully we know and love. Spending that Christmas cash that he hasn't been paid yet. Uh, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go Wyoming here, minus three over Kent State. Who do, who do you like there, Wax? I like Coach Sean Lewis. They were my pick to, to win the MAC, if you recall. Um, Dustin Crum, I think, is going to want to make a statement, show that he's an NFL guy. Um, they're getting points. Maybe they lose by a point at the end. I think that Kent gets it done, even though their defense is atrocious. Um, and people will get to see Chad Muma, one of the best underrated linebackers in America in that game for Wyoming. Agreed. Yeah. A Butkus finalist there. Great player.
And welcome back to CFI, College Football Impact, on the CFP podcast. And as we've done the last three or four weeks, with maybe a slight interruption here or there, we've got our brother Bip on for Bip's Bowl Bets this week. So we're adding a, another B in there. And, um, you know, sometimes adding a B is not what you want. But in this case, uh, we'll take that extra B, Bip. So welcome back, brother. Happy uh, mid-December to you. We're almost to the holidays. Um, you are, you are on fire, my man. And I'm not trying to jinx you. I don't believe in jinxes, but I'll knock on wood. Anyway, you are seven and three combining your spread picks and your money line picks, but nonetheless, a 70% rate that's, uh, that's kicking ass over anybody else that I know right now. So welcome back and, uh, kudos on your, your hot streak. Well, thank you much, Chappie. Christmas season is in full effect, as you well know, and uh, hoping to get some nice gifts from uh, some good uh, bowl bets uh, in return here. That would be wonderful. So uh, let's let's start it off. You got two spread picks for us in these bowl games that start on Friday and basically go up until Tuesday is, is the window we're looking at. So give us your first spread pick, Bipper. Yep, going to stay as a, a little bit of a homer here, and I'm going to get uh, I'm going to take Eastern Michigan getting nine and a half points against Liberty. Now, like Liberty comes in having lost three in a row. Those losses are against Ole Miss, Louisiana, and Army, so some very formidable opponents. But still, a losing skid going into the bowls is never a great thing. I think those three losses are a reason as to why Hugh Freeze still finds himself coaching the Flames instead of having found greener pastures. So that figures to help Liberty prep for this game, uh, if at least a little bit. Adding to Liberty's chances is the fact that Eastern ranks in the bottom 20 of the country in rushing offense and rushing defense, two stats that are good indicators of team success. So you hope to have a much better ranking position than what Eastern finds themselves in. However, three of Eastern's five losses this year are by one score, with one of those uh, other losses being against Wisconsin. So that lopsided loss is a little bit understandable. Both quarterbacks in this game come in um, to this one not playing their best football. Ben Bryant hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in either of his past two games. And Malik Willis completed under 53% of his passes against Louisiana and Army. And while he's a running threat, he hasn't averaged over five yards per carry in any of the last five games that he's played in. And he's averaged only 2.2 yards per carry on 63 carries in his past three games. If neither quarterback snaps out of it, this game could be a close one. Now, Liberty has a very strong defense, which Eastern will surely struggle to run against. So Bryant's going to need to be on his game uh, so that Eastern's 33rd ranked passing offense turns out some first downs and tries to keep Malik Willis off the field. Pair that with the fact that Eastern is the least penalized team in the country and the fact that Liberty ranks 119th in turnover margin and 96th in red zone offense. And I see a, a disciplined Eastern team that could hang with Liberty with the potential for a backdoor cover in the fourth as a passing attack of the Eagles gets some garbage time points. Take the nine and a half in this one that the Eagles are getting and hope that this fundamentally sound Eastern team makes Malik Willis look more like he has in the second half of the season than he did in the first, Chappie. Yeah, and this is one that really jumped out to me. Like, if this was under a touchdown, I would take Liberty all the way. But Eastern getting nine and a half, to your point, they played close games and they can keep up with you in a scoring race. Um, Samson Evans is a whiz inside the red zone. And, you know, with if Bryant can hit his targets, you know, he's got a couple of good tight ends, but I really like Hassan Beydoun and Tanner row the canoe. Um, those are two, <laughs> uh, you know, deceptively quick receivers, air quotes, um, that could pose some some issues for the Liberty secondary. So, yeah, I like Eastern getting the nine and a half here as well, Bip. So what's your next one for us? Next one, I got Coastal Carolina laying 10 and a half against Northern Illinois. Now, 
Coastal Carolina breathed a very loud sigh of relief once again as Jamie Chadwell had plenty of opportunity to cash in on the wacky coaching carousel this offseason, but decided, decided to stay around for at least one more season with the Chanticleers. They get Northern Illinois, who is one of the surprise stories of the season, winning the MAC, but their underlying statistics don't make me feel confident in them at all. They are unfortunately for them paired up with one of the group of five teams that could challenge many of the power five teams this bowl season in Coastal Carolina. That's not good because the Huskies have had, while they've had a powerful rushing attack this year, ranking fifth in the country, they don't show well in three of my four favorite metrics for success, Chappie. They're 84th in the country in third down offense, 86th in third down defense, and 120th in rushing D. They also rank only 105th in passing offense, and in their past two games combined, have only thrown for 125 yards. Rocky Lombardi, while a threat to run the ball, is not an accomplished passer by any means. And the Chanticleers, on the other hand, rank first in third down offense, 33rd in third down defense, 39th in rushing D, and 29th in first downs in the country. Coastal Carolina does just about everything well. Their lowest two ranked statistics are kick returns and net punting, which they both rank in about the hundreds or so. But when you have quick strike ability like they do, and you convert on 54% of your third downs, punting and kick returns become an afterthought. Outside of that, their lowest ranked important stats are they're 43rd in the country in rushing D and 39th in passing efficiency D. Perhaps most importantly in this spread is that they rank first in the country in pass efficiency. Now, the biggest thing in this game is that Grayson McCall's availability is still unknown at this time. If he plays, this is a runaway. And since I'm a little bit of a gambler, chappy, I'm going to take the 10 and a half points and cross my fingers that McCall does play. If he does, this 10 and a half is the easiest spread of the entire bowl season. If he doesn't play, this game could be closer, but I still think that Coastal's running game is good enough to control the game against this porous Husky D and NIU doesn't have the passing attack to get them back within 10 points by the time the clock strikes zeros as they'll be playing catch up all game. Take Coastal laying the 10 and a half in this one with confidence. Yeah, Coastal Carolina is a team last year and even this year where they were almost my money principal pick that I'm never going to pick against Coastal, especially um, in a uh, spread that's around 10 points. However, I said the same thing about NIU every damn week this year, <laughs> looking at those metrics saying, there's no way they're going to win again. There's no way they're going to win again. There's no way they're going to win again. And Rocky Lombardi, God bless him, but he's kind of like that goofy kid in school who seems to get the attractive girls flocking around him or like to be, you know, always hanging around him. You're like, what the hell does this guy have that he has all this success? Cause you watch him play. He's not flashy. I mean, he's gutty and, and I like him as a football player, but you're scratching your head. Like, really? This is the guy who's a Mac champion quarterback. The guy who led him to eight wins this, you know, this dumpy frumpy Northern Illinois team. But again, Bip, this is like really uh, two opposites. Um, I, I told myself I can't bet against Coastal, and I told myself <laughs> I can't bet Northern Illinois, and I was proven wrong on the Northern Illinois side. So I'm actually going to go against you here. I took Northern Illinois um, getting the 10.5. I think Coastal will win, and I agree mm -hmm. with you. If, if Grayson McCall is, is all in and he's focused and dedicated to playing this game, I think Coastal could run away with it, and I wouldn't be surprised. However, I also wouldn't be the damn bit surprised if the Huskies stick around and even if they beat Coastal Carolina, because again, Coastal season kind of got shut down when they couldn't win the, the Sunbelt East and they weren't playing for the championship. And then, yeah, you, you've got McCall who's looking at his future. You've got Jamie Chadwell who's wondering where is he going to be. And I think Northern Illinois is just a, a motivated team. And, and 
Thomas Hammock is somebody who um, is, is, is a driven coach and, and did a great job this year. And you can tell that this is where he wants to be, aside from maybe a B-dubs um, at uh, All You Can Eat Night. But um, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, <laughs> so let, me, let me pose this to you, Chappie. Maybe it changes your mind. You basically describe Northern Illinois as the Molly Ringwald of football teams to where you're like, on surface value, there's no way that they should end up with the success. No. Not, not even, so. yeah, not even close. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So, um, I won't sleep well tonight because I'll there have you go. Of, of Molly Ringwald, AKA Ronald McDonald's, um, stepchild in that, in that. So thank you, Bip. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. So there, well, there he is folks. Um, you know, looking to go two and O and even though I disagree with one of the picks, he's here for a reason. He's Bip, uh, brother, look forward to seeing you at Christmas time and look forward to having you back on the show next week. Very good. Can't wait, Chappie. This has been CFI. Follow us on Twitter at CFP CFB or online at www.cfpcollegefootball.com where you'll get great knowledge of college football from the experts. So please reach out and hit us up with your takes. We like the banter because we love the sport. This has been CFI on the CFP podcast. Have a good night, everybody.